Welcome to Beauty 4.0, a podcast by Cosmetics Design Europe, brainstorming opportunities in tech and cutting-edge innovation for an industry that can thrive. In this third episode, we speak with Mike Webster, Director of 3D Structure and Experience at UK branding and design agency 1HQ, about what the future of beauty packaging design might look like and what part innovative technologies can play in all of this. Get ready for an in-depth chat on 3D printing, lab-grown ingredients, real-time beauty needs, and what industry needs to do to upscale these ideas. So thank you very much for joining us on this podcast today, Mike. Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you and your team of colleagues at 1HQ have designed an extremely interesting smart lipstick concept that you've named Moi. Could you talk me through this design and how it came about? Yes, of course. So the the concept is it's a a lipstick that... um, it 3D prints directly onto the lips. It allows you to have any color you want. It also allows you to print special effects. You could have gradients. You know, it could be open source. So it means that, you know, your favorite brands or influencers could, um, you know, you could download particular styles or effects, etc. And it would just do all of that for you. So there's no need for the makeup artist anymore. This, this lipstick uh, would now do it all for you. I, I wrote an article talking about the future of packaging, in particular the impact of digital technology, um, you know, Industry 4.0, um, on on packaging in the future. And from that article, we started to think, well, you know, going a little bit further than just you know talking about what the future might look like, we thought, could we create some examples that could demonstrate how packaging will change? So I'm a I'm an industrial designer. So I've, you know, I've designed lots of different products. I've worked in healthcare, I've designed hospital beds and, and mobile phones as, as well as packaging. And for me, I've always, I sort of see packaging, the role of packaging sort of being reframed really as we move forward into the future, driven mainly by obviously technology, uh, but also sustainability. I think the whole idea that we, we can just create packaging for a single use, that then would just be chucked away um, you know, it just doesn't feel right, really, with, with what we're trying to do today in the world. So for me, packaging, I think, has to become more valuable to people, to consumers, and we need to start to reevaluate what it could be. And so when we started to look at some of the categories, you know, obviously, when you look at beauty, for example, you know, packaging plays quite a big role. There's also an awful lot of packaging uh, involved in beauty. And we thought about the lipstick, and of course the lipstick you know, it hasn't changed in over 100 years since uh, I think it was Morris Levy sort of first designed the tube container, I think, in 1915. And it's, it's fundamentally the same since then. And of course, what you're doing is you've actually got quite a small piece of wax lipstick inside of this plastic tube that invariably gets chucked away. So this was a starting point for us, and we thought, well, you know, how could we improve upon that? And we sort of realized that there's a number of different ways in which in which that packaging, this, this new lipstick could, could be much better for, for people. So obviously sustainability was a key driver here, which was obviously something refillable. So the concept itself is it's all about reuse. It would be refilled. 
and it would be refilled directly into the pack itself, so there would be no waste there. We, we considered that this could be done through sort of filling stations that you might find in department stores or, or other areas where people are, you know, you're, you're purchasing beauty products typically. But I think the key area really is about, um, you know, if you look at what's happening with, with the beauty industry, it's all becoming much more expressive, much more creative. I mean, this has been amplified, of course, through COVID. You know, people are wanting to express themselves even more. So we thought that, you know, rather than having this sort of one colour lipstick, how about if it was to be printable lipstick, where actually that colour is made from, in the same way print cartridge works, from a number of different reservoirs of different colours, so that you could print whatever colour you wanted at any time. And it's all in the one pack, rather than you having to carry multiple packs if you wanted to have multiple coloured lipsticks. So that's kind of how the idea evolved. In developing this concept, Mike, essentially you and the team have completely overturned the humble lipstick in every sense of the word, really, have you not? Yes, because we've looked at it from, from multiple angles. I mean, this is what we, we do on every project. First and foremost, we're looking at it from a user experience perspective. That's what we really, we really focus on, you know. So how can we make this thing better for, for users? So as I said, we just looked at what was happening out there. What are people looking for? Well, how are people behaving? How could this fit? Also, it's something that can get broken. You know, something that really bugs me with some beauty packaging, certainly cosmetics, is, is how some products, the pack doesn't, you know, if you drop them on the floor, the pack doesn't protect them. It gets broken. So, you know, again, doing it this way, of course, you, you're not going to break the lipstick itself because, of course, the lipstick is only being made at the time that you would print it. But also thinking about how people apply lipstick as well. I mean, I know it's a very ritualized experience, but it's something where you need to look in the mirror, etc. Whereas this is something that you could just hold it to your lips. You don't need a mirror. And, you know, we envisage that you would, you know, like you've seen in a lot of beauty, you probably have your lips scanned so that the, the lipstick itself would know the very contours of your lips. And you could start to specify not just what the colour is, but also the finish. Do you want full lips or do you want much, you know, much more thinner lips uh, mm. effect? You could be very crisp and accurate with the application. We could also think about one product in one here so you know it could be that you could apply a, a primer first of all and then you could apply the color but then you could also apply a, a gloss or a sealer so it really from a consumer perspective it could have everything that you would need in the one product yeah and what's fascinating about the concept as well mike is this reliance on inkjet printing technology um i know you and the team extensively researched the space and you previously told me that advances are happening fast in that field is inkjet printing technology a space that offers plenty of opportunity for the wider beauty category uh, i believe so and i mean i think we're already seeing that there's sort of several products that that already launched in that space. PNG Ventures launched a sort of um, a, a 3D printed foundation. So it's a device called Opte. Um, and the idea here is that yes, you just print directly onto your skin. And it's more, it's not, it's not for sort of blanket coverage, but it's more for sort of covering things like sunspots, etc., or blemishes in the skin. So mm -hmm. that's already on the market. We've also seen Mink, um, which is so it's not directly printing onto onto the skin, but uh, the mink printer allows you to color match uh, and then print makeup for you to use. So we're already beginning to see 3D printing entering into that beauty space. So I think there's going to be a lot more things happening in this space. When we apply that sort of technology and the inkjet concept to beauty, what sort of challenges do you foresee that manufacturers and brands might have to seriously consider? I think the 
challenge at the moment is going to be size. And so there's been a lot of advancements in terms of 2D printers and the size of the nozzles, the print head. You can already get nano printing happening. So I think in, in medicine, for example, they're, they're printing at a very, very small scale. So I think that's going to be fine moving forward. But the, the challenge is really going to be you know, the size of these devices. So if you actually look at the Octay, for example, that's out, it's, you know, it's it's still quite a big device. And so obviously when you think about how a concept, could it be done right now? No, it couldn't be because it would be twice the size of an existing lipstick. Right. Um, but, you know, as I said, what we've done is we've posited a vision for what the future could be like. And certainly the advancements in technology are, you know, everything's moving at such a rapid scale that we would expect all of these these challenges certainly to be addressed as we move forward. It's a little bit like, you know, electrical vehicles and the sizes of batteries. Mm. You just sort of see how far that's come along you know, over the last 10. 10 years is, is not actually a long time in the development of technology. The, the iPhone's only 12 years old. So, yeah, those are the sort of challenges is actually getting that technology to work at a scale and, of course, cost. You know, getting it sure. to, be, to, be, to be scaled up so that it can actually be affordable. But I'm sure over the next sort of, you know, within the next five years, we'll see more 3D printed devices, you know, used on the skin. And, you know, they will be fairly expensive initially because, of course, that's what they're doing. It's all about getting getting the product out there. And you'll have the early adopters that will obviously be leading the charge in terms of using them. But as these things are being made and being used and we learn from them, gradually they'll get they'll, they'll become more mainstream and the cost will come down. Yeah. And do you have a sense on how easy the consumer uptake will be, you know, for, for the mass consumer inkjet printing technology? pretty much is heavily associated with office printing on paper um, and less so in the beauty space. How much appetite do you think there is for consumers to engage in this sort of technology? Well, I think first and foremost, it's going to be about what are the benefits to consumers, you know, with any technology, whenever we change the paradigm on something, you know, there has to be a core benefit that people see value in. So I think first and foremost, it would be about how the product performs and how it can make life easier, you know, how it can fit to people's lifestyles better, you know, being able to carry the one product in a bag when we're out and about, hopefully, you know, after, after we've managed to crack COVID. You know, those are the sort of things that people will see the benefit in it. Of course, there's going to be a job to be done in, in sort of preparing consumers and, 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 and educating consumers as to the, the fact that, you know, this is the way things are going to be. So I think it's just a case of engaging with the consumer, really sort of outlining what that what the technology is all about, what the benefits are, and gradually helping them become familiar with it. Yeah. Now, your concept, the lipstick concept, Mike, has used cutting edge innovation to redesign not only the packaging of this lipstick and, and the format, but also how the product is applied when we consider the type of technology available on the market or very early technologies that are you know on the horizon where do you see the biggest opportunity for industry is it in redesigning packaging or rethinking product application and use well i think the two are intertwined really i think if we think about packaging today so beauty packaging design and and i'm going to talk from the, you know, from the perspective of a what we call a structural packaging designer. So, 
so not necessarily not the graphics but the the thing itself the physical manifestation of it packaging is has been designed to sell it's a very competitive marketplace and it's very important to get people to buy into a brand or to get people to buy into a particular product line um, the opportunity for me when i look at that though is that on the whole there's not a lot of thinking going into how that packaging design can help with the actual product delivery and application building habits a, a lot of the products i mean I, I went to japan many years ago and i was working on a beauty project and something that i learned while i was there that I, in japan they look at it as a 30 70 rule where forgive me if it's not quite right what i'm saying but my, my memory but but 30 percent of it is on selling and, and getting to buy into what the thing is but 70 percent of it is application so you could have the best cream in the world but if you don't apply it properly then you're not going to get all of the benefits mm. and so i think that's an area of real opportunity is how do we use packaging design to make it easier to apply or, or to educate and inform exactly how to apply makeup and beauty products I think another thing as well, of course, is how do we make them fit into the lifestyles? A lot of these products, as well as I understand, you know, require on habit forming. You know, it's a bit like, you know, you get told by the dentist that you need to floss every night, but it's, it can be quite difficult to actually start to introduce this concept of flossing every day. So how can we use packaging design to make that habit forming process easier to begin to introduce perhaps this new ritual or regime into the lifestyles? In a way. So that's where I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I think that's a mixture of the product itself and the pack and how those two things come together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And are there any particular technology areas that you've got your eye on that would be worthwhile for the beauty industry to look more closely at? Um, well, I mean, I think there's quite a lot going on at the moment. So, I mean, again, it's such an exciting area. I mean, I think we've obviously seen the importance of AR. Yeah. So augmented reality, with certainly with us all shopping from home and, and you know looking at how we can start to see how the effects of these products, what they could, what that could be on us. I think personalization, so the whole AI area is fantastic. Obviously, you know as you all know, there's there's loads of things happening there in terms of how we're able to analyze and diagnose um, the skins and work out. It's, it's all about personalization, of course, isn't it? And how we can start to create products that are going to work for us better, that are more tailored to our particular type of skin or skin color. So that's interesting as well. I think a thing that I'm really interested in though is, is this idea of lab grown. So obviously, you know, we do a lot of work around food and drink as well, and it's, it, we're facing a similar challenge there, which is the reality is, is we can't keep using natural resources for our lifestyles. You know, things things are things are going to become depleted. So the idea that we can start to grow the ingredients that we need within the lab, well, that, that's quite an exciting space because ultimately it's a sustainable solution. Obviously, there'll be challenges to overcome in terms of this idea of naturalness. Uh, sure. But it's fantastic. And, you know, there's, there's some great companies. I mean, there's a Japanese lab called Spiva, uh, and they, they do this thing called brewed protein. And effectively, they use a fermentation process to grow materials that we can use in fashion. We know as well that there's there, there'll be other things happening here in terms of ingredients that can be used within the sort of beauty products themselves. I, I think that's, that's also a, a, an interesting area. That is definitely a space that has has evolved uh, over the years in beauty, certainly if we think of plant cell cult cultures um, and how quickly that has evolved. But um, as you mentioned right there at the beginning, in food and beverage, we have seen that space evolve dramatically. Is there anything that you think beauty could perhaps learn 
around the concept of lab-grown ingredients from the food and beverage industry? I mean, obviously, the, the key driver in the food and beverage industry is, is part ethical. Obviously, more and more people now are wanting to cut down or even remove, you know, eating meat. So they're looking for plant-based solutions. I think in terms of specific specific learnings, I think, I mean, I think it's important for the beauty industry to, to just open its eyes and look at all categories because there's so much innovation happening in a, in a number of different areas that there could be a lot of insight and inspiration to be gained. When we're designing something ourselves, we might get a brief for one category, but we always look outside of that category because quite often the solution or the unlock to what we're trying to achieve is found somewhere else. Hmm. And we then transfer that across. So again, you know, from a beauty perspective, there might be certain ways in which things have been traditionally done. I think that's the bit is to start to look at the processes and procedures in place and start to understand whether better processes can be brought in that have been inspired from outside of the category. So, uh, you know, rather than a specific thing that I think the beauty industry can learn, I think it's more about you know, how to collectively approach the issues that we're facing, because obviously all of these brands are facing issues around sustainability and around ethics and around inclusivity. So I think it's a time for us to sort of be able to look at that from a much bigger perspective. Yeah. Now, innovations and brand perspectives and concepts is one thing, but then you've got the consumer use phase, which is also very important. Can you genuinely see a future where beauty use would transition so far towards digital formats? Yes, I mean, I think it already is. You know, even L'Oreal have launched Perso, which is, again, they're sort of AI, they analyse the skin care and then they produce there and then. I think I think we're gonna what we'll ha- what we'll see in the future is gonna be real time beauty. What you need one day might not be the same as what you need the next day. You know what you need in the winter is obviously different to what you need in the summer. If you think about SPFs and you know how the skin how the skin is gonna change due to the temperature. So I think absolutely digital will will help. And and I think if you look at if you look at beauty treatments outside of the home if you go to a salon i mean technology has always been used as a driver there to get better so i think it's just a natural thing so i i don't think it's a problem we have things like the high mirror which obviously again you can look in and start to pick out all the blemishes what's missing i think is the use of technology to make sure that we are able to to pinpoint and and to treat the specific areas right if you if you take the example of opte that i used earlier the 3d printing foundation applier and I know everybody's different, but for many women, they, when they apply foundation, they might not necessarily want to have foundation all over the skin. So what Optane does is it just applies the foundation where it's needed. Yeah. So I think that for me is, is, is the exciting thing about technology is that we can get accurate, precise application of the products where they're needed. It can also be a consistent application. It would be the same every time rather than, you know, you do something one day and then you can't quite remember or recap, you know, especially if you're doing makeup. So I think that's where technology is just going to enhance the experiences that we have when when we're applying our beauty products. Yeah. And like you said there, I think we are certainly seeing um, much more offerings at home, you know, taking concepts that may have traditionally been only available in salons into the consumer's home. But one thing that still remains a huge hurdle, I think, certainly if we consider mass beauty, is cost. You know, these concepts are costing manufacturers and brands much more to produce. 
Now, will they have to absorb those costs to offer products at a lower price for mass beauty success? How do you see that um, evolving, Mike? I think, well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of business model innovation that will be required here because, again, we're moving into this liminal space where these products, you know, you're buying things, but then you've got a keeper. So you've got the applicator itself. And if you think about other areas, you know, buying a printer, you know, traditionally, of course, what the printer manufacturers are wanting is they're wanting you to buy into the system so that you'll be buying their printer cartridges. So quite often printers themselves are sold at, you know, at cost because right. that's not where they're going to make the money. It, it, it was the same with Amazon, I think, with their Kindles. You know, the, the, the Kindles, again, were introduced and they were sold cheaply because they want people to be buying the books off the, the Kindle store rather than necessarily a one-off purchase of a Kindle. Mm. So I think we'll need to be looking at how, I, I think businesses will, need, will, will, will start to look at, you know, subscription is a massive area. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that in a very analog way. We're seeing that with, you know, just, you know, think about razors and all the subscription brands, the, you know, Dollar Shave Club and, um, and Harry's, for example. So if we have a beauty product or a beauty, a beauty product in terms of the thing that we want to apply, but, but actually the way to apply it best is through a particular device then I could see that brand would provide the device at a very cost-attractive um, price in order to secure them. And then obviously the, 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 the real value is going to come from that subscription of that person buying the product on a regular basis to fit with that device that they, that they have at home. So I'm sure we'll just start to see a reframing really of how the money is earned by these brands and businesses. Yeah. And an interesting point to consider there is, you know, brand equity is hugely important and valuable in beauty. Do you think that there would be more potential to upscale at mass levels successfully with an outsourcing model where perhaps one device works for many brands? Or do you think that consumers will be looking for that device and um, top up from one brand only? I mean, it's a good question because this is, you know, this is when we we can get into that situation where you need to have six different devices for the six different products. You know, you don't want to have to have one device for, I don't know, foundation and another device for eye gloss. Uh, you know, there's, so I think we'd have to think carefully about that. I mean, I think there'll be, we'll, we'll probably see two types of brands. We might see the brands that are producing the product, that are selling the products. And then we'll maybe see brands that are actually producing devices that are not necessarily relying on a particular product itself. Yeah. Um, and so the business models would, would, would change across those ones there. I mean, for me, you know, when we were thinking about the lipstick concept, it could be that Moi was a brand, for example, and you would only be able to fill it with Moi formulations. But we also were thinking it could be very exciting that if it was a product on its own and you could, you know, you could fill with, with Chanel lipstick or you could fill it, fill it with Glossier. And again, you know, this idea that you can use and adapt this as much as you want, I think it's quite an attractive thing. Certainly this idea of open source where you have one filling, you know, it's one proprietary filling mechanism. So that means that, all you know, you can fill this at any filling station. That's in, in a way, I think what consumers would want would be that. They would want to have that open source nature so that the accessibility is massive and they don't have to go to a particular shop, you know, that takes them 45 minutes on the tube to get there just to fill up their lipstick is that's just not really going to be practical at all. So we do need to think a little bit more about that ecosystem within which these products live. That's, that, that means that it's, it's, it's very easy and accessible and convenient to, to use these products. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, just to close, Mike, you and your team passionately redesigned the Humble Lipstick. I'm curious if you and your colleagues were to uh, have just one other beauty project, beauty redesign project, what would it be and why? Oh, good question. Um, I actually quite like the idea. I've always sort of wanted to um, just to redesign the simple eyeliner, eyeshadow, just just because I've just seen my wife got so many of those things and they break. Right. Um, and it just it just sort of frustrates me on on that one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, to, to be honest, the team and I we we just love designing new things. Every brief we get is a new challenge, and you know, quite often the the less the, the trickier, less glamorous the brief, the actual actually the more rewarding it is when you can kind of create something that actually really sort of solves a problem. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And and try to come up with with new products that are actually genuinely going to make a difference for for people's experiences and and obviously something that's much more sustainable than a lot of the packaging is today. Yeah, definitely. Well, certainly a, an exciting space to watch and hopefully one that you will be participating in as we move ahead, Mike. Thank you for all your insights on the project that you've worked on with the digital lipstick and also all of your ideas around the future of Beauty 4.0. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for inviting me. Well, that's all from us at Beauty 4.0, a podcast by Cosmetics Design Europe, bringing you everything you need to know about tech and innovation advances in the field.